you are now looking at the view from the marina. Welcome to another episode of The View from the Marina, where we explore insightful conversations for inquiring minds. On this very special International Women's Month episode, we have media powerhouse Lamide Akintobi in conversation with an amazing lineup of women talking about breaking biases and shattering barriers. Let's get into it. We have a fantastic lineup of amazing people who are going to be on this on the panel. Um, and I'm just going to start with the very first one. Please do make welcome Bolanle Okusoyafeita, who is the founder and CEO of LTJ Funerals. She's the CEO of LTJ Funerals, which is a leading third-generation funeral services company, a makeup expert and a funeral director for over two decades. She is Nigeria's pioneer third-generation funeral services specialist. Pretty amazing. Next, we have Bukonla Olisa, who is a retired FIFA referee. Give it up for that. She's also an environmental activist and a PhD candidate. So, shattering a whole bunch of barriers there. She... Um, she became a football referee in 2004 and rose to become a FIFA international assistant referee in 2013 before retiring in 2015. Alrighty, next we have Bukola Akingbade, who is the CEO of Kucheza Games. Yes. She is the founder of Kucheza Gaming, which is a video games industry startup that uses gaming as a gateway to digital excellence. She believes that video games offer a new and immersive way to reimagine, document, and preserve history, which she does through their key project, The Wild Kingdom. Please give her a round of applause. Next, we have Dr. Abimbola Abolarinwa, who is Nigeria's first female urologist and only one of about six in the country at the moment. So that's a really huge feat. She has continued to encourage other women to venture into urology since she broke this barrier back in 2013. As I said earlier, she has, there are only five female urologists in Nigeria and two others in training, and she's trying to pull some more people into that. So please make welcome our wonderful panelists. We have one more panelist who may be here a little bit later, but we're just going to go ahead and start without her. So are we ready? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Shall I sit or shall I stand? I think I'll sit, I'll sit here so that if our next person comes, she'll, she'll be over here. And I'm wondering if I need a mic or if we should just project. We should use the mic, yes. Also, oh, I must make welcome our, I know we have some virtual attendees. We have um, the Instagram Live folks. So who's holding? Okay, everyone, just, just wave at the Instagram Live audience. Thank you so much for joining us. Please, if you do have any questions, make sure you put them in the questions in the chat, and then we'll try and get them, um, you know, after. Now, we only have about 25, 25. 25, 30 minutes for this chat, so I'm going to head on into it. And if you do have any questions, please keep them, and we will get into that right after the conversation. Okay. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining. Um, it's kind of difficult to know where to begin. I think it'd be good to get a sense of their origin stories first, just how they got into these fields, and then we'll go a little bit into how they have been breaking barriers and how we can continue to kind of break the bias as we move forward in our personal and professional careers. So I think I'll start off with 
you, um, Bolanle. And it's interesting because I know part of your story is that LTJ Funeral started sort of out of a time of personal loss and tragedy for you. And I wanted to ask you, when you ventured out into something that was kind of unknown for women at the time, what, what was it that made you decide that, you know what, I'm actually going to go it alone. I'm going to do this by myself. And what were some of the internal biases that you yourself had to kind of overcome to say, okay, I know this is tough, but I'm going to make it and I'm going to do it anyway. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, what are the, when I decided to go alone, I wasn't, I, I never thought, um, I, I just wanted to do something. I wasn't trying to be the first anything. I just wanted to do something. LTJ was born out of my own personal loss, but I'd always been, I'd always worked in funeral services, maybe about 10 Oh, about 12 years. I'd always, that's what I've always known, you know, as a third, third generation, my grandfather, my father. But then I set up LTJ because I, I, I couldn't deal with the feeling of, oh, what am I going to do? This is something in my heart. You know, let me do it. What if it works? What if it doesn't work? So that's how that was birthed. It was just, you know, this is something I was pressing. I think this is something that would work. Let me try and do it. Internally, um, it was like, gosh, you're doing something crazy in, in the sense that I, I had known a few women who had worked in funeral services, but not the way that I had in mind. So the challenge even till now is I can't look up, I can't look at anybody and say, okay, this is somebody who's charting my path. What do I follow exactly? I, I mean, I have a lot of people that I look up to, but nobody's doing exactly what I do. So it's a constant thing of, okay, how do you appropriate this to what, what you need? Thank you. A round of applause for her. Um, I think that it's interesting to note, you know, something you said that you were not the one that was, you hadn't, you didn't have an example. You didn't have a blueprint. You kind of are the blueprint. Round of applause for a blueprint, please. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to come to you, Dr. Abalarima, because, you know, you literally, even though she had had some experience, she was third generation, so she had seen her grandfather do some of the work and she didn't seen her father do some of the work. You literally were, as they say, the first. <laughs> you were the first. And as the first, I want to I wanna know for you, why did you decide that, actually, yeah, I'm going to do this? And once you started, what was the kind of... What were the kind of challenges that you had to overcome, you know, encountering people who hadn't seen a woman specialize in urology before? Okay, I think I should just define what urology is. <laughs> <laughs> Academically and streetwise. Academically, urology is the surgical management of the urinary system, which men and women have. We all have kidneys, bladder, ureters, and the reproductive system of men. So why gynecologists handle the reproductive system of women uh, urologists do that for men. So just, I'm a male gynae. <laughs> so majority, majority of my patients are men. Um, all the spectrum of prostate diseases, prostate enlargement, prostate cancer comes to us. Um, erectile dysfunction, male factor infertility, um, premature ejaculation, um, testicular surgeries, scrotal surgeries, penis, everything, penile fracture. You know, I see that we have just everything, one man everything. in this room, and we have oh, we have two. Hello, how are you? Good. I just said I would say hello. Okay. My secret is being exposed, uh, so that's what I do. So it's um, penile fracture. It fractures out, but we could say that off camera. So th th those are what um, I do, and 
when I went into urology, actually you do medicine first and then do your surgery residency before you go into urology. My father is a surgeon. So it was not really a big deal to do medicine. And then, of course, we grew up in the hospital theater, so blood, everything was demystified. So coming out to say I would do surgery was no big deal. My sister, my older sister is a dentist. So I started surgery, but I wanted orthopedic surgery. But along the way, I got into urology rotations. You rotate through everything before you narrow down to what you want. And I fell in love with it. I didn't know I would be the pioneer. I didn't even ask if there were people before me because there are already women in surgery. Generally, surgery is male-dominated because of the stress of the training. And oh, most of the men have supportive spouses who face the home front while they can focus. You spend weeks, months, sometimes in the hospital without going home. So a woman doing that, sometimes your family choices may limit you from wanting to go into that. And that's why we had fewer gynecologists too, as females, you know. So when I started surgery, we were few women, but women have done that. But urology had not been done by anybody before. So I just asked, you know, there'll be some women somewhere. Until I passed my first exams, the part one, that made me now face urology for my part two. And then I was like, ah, I'm the only one. Ah. You know, and I was just in a little corner in Lagos here in Lasut. And then I continued my training until I qualified in 2013. By that time, I knew I was the only one, and I had to be careful. I had to chase excellence. You know, you can't just be a female. You need to know your job. You need to be competent, especially if you are going to be the pioneer. And I had that. I had good trainers, and they made sure that I was not half-baked. There was no expectation that the men had that I was not given. You don't, there's nothing like, oh, my child is sick. And my, I was lucky, my children, they're like local chickens. They don't even fall ill. <laughs> so I wasn't having any problems with them, but I had all the support, family support and all. Basically, the challenges I had was uh, not really from the male patients. There's initial shock when they see me, but uh, after a while, these are Lagos men, you know. And oh, I feel one or two middle Asian patients that the only reason why they allowed me to examine them was they told me you are a mother. But they told me if I was a younger woman, no. <laughs> or another that I was examining a scrotum and he was hiding his penis. <laughs> and I was like, what is left? You know? <laughs> but basically, if you have a good conversation with a patient, they warm up to you, do most of the, um, remove most of the, what do you call it, the, the anxiety and the agitation by talking to them connecting with their minds, you may go straight, you know, somebody will tell me has erectile dysfunction, I call it power failure, you know, I know all the street drugs and all, it's premature ejaculation, ah, low GG, ah. I know I try those bus conductor, ah, doctor, more way, you know, and all, and then when you want to examine them, they don't mind, they will point to you where they have the issues, have a chaperone, keep, be professional, so challenges from patients, minimal, maybe from some colleagues who didn't really understand what I was doing there. Basically, surgery is male-dominated, so you have that resistance. But you know, um, criticism will bow to competence. So just do your job. Do your job. If they don't like you, just know that it is beef. Just do your job. I think we can go home, no? We, we no? <laughs> If you have your pen and you didn't write down chase excellence and criticism bows to competence, please write it now. And if you, if they don't like you, it's beef. I love it. A little bit of swagger. Okay. Thank you so much for those really wise words. Um, I think 
I will go to Bukonla now because you're in a, actually the two, well, they're not quite the same. One is Bukonla, one is Bukola. But I'll go to Bukonla because um, I think it's interesting that you are in sports, but your background is education, philosophy. She studied education. She has two degrees in philosophy. She's doing a PhD in environmental. <laughs> oh, me, Seth. I'm like, uh, uh, only you. But um, I want to ask, how does somebody who starts off doing education and philosophy get into FIFA? Like, not just, oh, I'm a sports fan. I'm an Arsenal fan. That's me, but... Mm. Um, but literally, I want to see, I want to make a change in how the game is played. How did that sort of come about for you? And for you, especially because sports in Nigeria and soccer or football in Nigeria is such a, can be a bit of an agbero kind of thing, um, if we want to be truthful. Um, how did you deal with some of the pushback that you got when you, when they saw you on the field and they're like, what is she doing there? Thank you. Um, I'll say... Education has always been a part of me, but I wanted to play football so bad. I really wanted to play, but my mom would hear none of it. Even when I was in secondary school, mommy, please buy me, like, no, you look like a man. You do this, you know, the regular thing. You become a tomboy. They don't get married and stuff like that. But while I was studying, it was still a part of me. You know, it was so bad. Most times I sneak out of the house, go watch football. I come back, the gate is locked. I scale the fence, <laughs> you know. And it was, I think my dad saw that I just wanted to do this. But at that time, he was like, okay, if you can't play football, why not do something else that is related to football? And I was like, yeah, I said, okay. One morning, he just drove me to the stadium. He said, get your boots, get your sport gear. And then he drove me to the stadium. And then, yeah, these are referees. Would you like to become? And I was like, I saw they were all men, older men. I'm like, yeah, I know about refereeing and all that. But I never really sat down and said, okay, I want to become a referee. But when that opportunity came, I looked at it. They were all men. There was no women at that time in my society. Of course, we had female referees here and there. And when I joined, I was like, okay. I need to do this, and I need to give it everything. So when I started out, you know, the, I remember the first time I, <laughs> I was on the field and I wore my uniform, and it was a, a match with some other male colleagues. We were like, where did you see this short girl? <laughs> you know, I was looking so funny, and then they were like, does she really know what, you know? My first match was really bad for me. There was so much nerves. People were, I was hearing almost everything Everyone on the field was saying that, where did you see this one and all? But I just thought to myself, we have about like 80-something referees in my society at that time. And we were just, another lady joined eventually. And I said, well, I'm going to do the best I can in this field. And they will know me. And they would listen to me. And, and that was, it was tedious. You know, you have to train. Refereeing is not just about the physical aspect. You have to have the laws of the game at your fingertips, and it changes every year. Football is dynamic, you know. So I started, of course, my mom had issues with me traveling, you know, when I was in black. And, you know, for females, it's quite difficult, especially in the Nigerian league. Like, like some days ago, you saw the video trending. One of our male colleagues was actually dealt with by football fans, you know. So every time I have to travel for matches locally, I'm up. Always like, God, just let me come back home safely. You know, and then you go to match venues, be like, ah, it's a girl they brought to come and do our match. Ah, you better know what you are doing. 
You know, but for me, I've been so lucky. Nobody has ever laid hands on me throughout my career. And once I get on the field, it's a different person entirely. Nobody remembers whether you're a girl or you're a boy, you know. And at the end of the day, and it was when I, after, you know, it took a while for me to get to that level of confidence, really, because at some point I doubted myself, you know. But it was easy for me at eventually when I realized whether you, whether you say, whether you do it well, whether you don't do it well, people are still going to talk. So why not just do the best that you can? And that was how it began for me. And when I got the opportunity to become a FIFA referee, that was like the topping, the icing on the cake. Because in Nigeria, for example, we have about 29 referees listed as FIFA referees, and we have like 21 male and just eight females, you know, it's like that. So for women, you have to, like, do extra. Do extra. And especially getting into the male league, you have to stand out. You have to... People need to know that, yes, you know what you're doing. So it's a constant retraining of your mind and putting in all the work. And I'm so happy that today I have a lot of young girls now that are coming into refereeing, and they are, they are really taking it. And, you know, even internationally, Mimi Seniyohe, one of our female FIFA referees presently, she was part of the team that officiated the first calf male match at the continent. So girls are doing it, and, you know, there's an initiative now that we call Girls That Ref. We try to mentor girls. Even if we have ex-footballers, you know, there are girls who play football, and because of what they see us do, probably due to injury, they couldn't further their football careers. We're like, you don't have to be a footballer alone. You can become a referee, and you can still make your mark. And so we've been mentoring girls, and now we have a lot of girls now doing football. And for me, I'm more of, yes, you can do it. You can do referee, but you need to go to school because I, I believe that it's not enough for you to just know how to do it. Sometimes when you are grounded and you have a very solid educational background, it also gives you the push. And you know in Nigeria, we are the certificate-driven kind of environment. So once they know you have it, even if it doesn't matter whether it's third class, or once they know you have a degree, there's this certain level of respect that comes to it. So basically that's what we, what we do now. Encourage girls, you can do sports, and you can also go to school. Wonderful. I think one of the things that really stood out for me is um, the fact that your dad supported you, you know, to push you, which goes to show that I think in us trying to break any barriers or break biases, we need the support of the entire society. It's not just you trying to make a, a change. It's also like the team of people behind you. Can I get a yay, man? Thank you very much. Okay, so now to you, Bukola. Um, you are the CEO and founder of Kucheza. And that is a gaming, um, a gaming startup. And one, startup tech. Women in tech is such a buzzword, but, you know, women in tech, things like funding, you get less of it. Things like attention, you also get less of it. And so for me, those two things, tech and gaming, these are not necessarily things that you would identify a woman with, for good or for bad, unfortunately. And so what was the interest? What was the thing that pushed you from, um, you know, a marketing and a branding background into I think I'm going to go and play game. <laughs> um, to, to be honest, I think uh, my journey, as um, for me, in my eyes, is quite linear. I think most people just don't find it that linear. So, um, 
so first things first here, like in Nigeria, I started the first digital agency in 2009, in February. Um, and so that's how I got into marketing here. Um, and so it's if a lot of the things that kind of capture my interests are normally quite innovative, um, interesting, and I kind of just try to do what I feel like doing, um, which which is a problem. <laughs> um, so for video games, obviously, so I am married. Um, I've got three boys, 15, 12, and nine. Um, and as you know, you know, for the people who know my children, they're also part of the company, by the way. So um, we use them. We do a lot of child labor. Um, uh, so they, they, the thing that kind of got me a lot was the change in behavior. And so when I look at myself growing up, and I was saying this last week, that um, you kind of, we grew up with the television. Um, I had Commodore 64. I played Nintendo growing up as well. Um, I did football for my school. Um, I worked on brands that had to do with erectile dysfunction. Um, uh, and but, so, but across my journey, though, it's, it's been really, really interesting. And when I saw the change in behavior for my kids... Um, you know, my kids, for instance, I normally would say this, I type search, my kids voice search. They don't, they don't consider type searching. Um, yeah, they, they absolutely don't. They, they talk to, like, they talk to their devices. They use their devices in the way that they've been designed for now. And the more I observed them, um, you know, no linear TV. We've seen this across the world. Um, a lot of content on demand and stuff like that. And the impact that video games had in their lives, though as parents actually were quite restrictive, you know, don't do this at this time, school first. And I do believe, I do believe education is important. I might not act like it, but I believe education is important. Uh, but I think education needs to change though. Um, and I think this, at, this is at the heart of what we believe. Is that, look, we've been doing this in the same way, and I'm not just talking about Nigeria. Nigeria, for sure, education needs to change. Curriculum-wise, for sure, it needs to change. Um, DY, DX, all those kinds of things. Um, I studied architecture, I'm telling you. Till I left school, they didn't let us use CAD. Yes, they didn't let us use AutoCAD. Till we left school, although it was a long time ago now, but, uh, you know, but the thinking was there and all, all those kinds of things. But education needs to evolve. Um, and I think what we need to equip kids to better do is to feel like they can, first of all, kind of figure out what the problems they have in their world and try to solve for it and feel like they're equipped to solve for it. Um, and I think for video games, um, that is a huge part of what I believe video games can be used for. And so when I observe them, they come back from school, they tell me, oh, school is boring, I don't want to do this. I also said school was, school was boring. I'm sure most people said school was boring. Uh, but I think now there's more that can make school a bit more interesting. You know, if you're a parent and you use things like Khan Academy, you'll probably have a different perspective about algebra or quadratic equations. Or if you see how they're even teaching your kids now, you know those things that your child will come up with an assignment. You know, they'll tell you that, ah, mom, can you help me? And then as you're explaining it, they're telling you, ah, that's not how they taught us, so, you know. Um, so it's, it's a newer way, a different way of kind of understanding that. And it's from observing my kids, actually, that I um, came into this industry to kind of um, do this. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized that the biggest video game companies in the world are the big tech companies. So you're talking about your Microsofts, your um, Sony, your Nintendo, um, Tencent, 
big tech companies across the world. There's not a lot of African representation, like full stop, let alone before we even get to gender, like um, a lot of the IPs are um, foreign in nature and all of that. So part of what a lot of the new startups are trying to do on the continent, uh, which we're glad to be a part of, is to try to ensure that for the future that we have, we build more intellectual property on the continent. And so that's what we're trying to advocate for. So that's my journey. Awesome. I liked your point about education. And that brings me to a question for all of you um, about the need to educate and when you feel it is necessary to start educating um, people who are basically coming behind you. Like, I know that all of you are actively, or most of you are actively mentoring, maybe informally or formally. And so what, what is this for you? I mean, education is important, yes, but when do you really feel like it's the time, the best time to start educating that there are no barriers unless you put them there? Like, and whatever barriers you may see or cu culturally or societally have been created is for you to just keep going forward. Um, and I'll start with you, Bukola. Okay. Um, huh. So historically, and again, I'm, I'm so sorry. So in my history or my journey, I, I haven't actually noticed barriers. And I know it's a, it might be a strange thing to say. I haven't. Like, it's one of the challenges I probably have as a human being. I'm sure there might have been barriers, but I, I just don't notice them. Um, I grew up, my dad, highly entrepreneurial. My mom, police officer, 35 years in, in um, Nigerian police force. Um, so I like, I grew up with a working mom, grew up around a lot of my cousins, you know, like around sports, around absolutely everything. Um, so for me, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of bias. I just kind of did what I felt to do at the time. And my first, my first really good boss, um, <laughs> it's weird. It's, it's a British guy, um, Jim and everybody that worked with Jim had asked to leave right? They've asked to leave his team um, because, and it's a true story, that because um, as good a boss as he was, at fri on Fridays, right, when it's about 11, Jim, it doesn't, it doesn't matter the work that is there, it's, it's not, you're not going to find him, right? It's going to tell you, and it's not going to run away like, it's going to tell you, look, there's this work that needs to go out. Eh? I need, I'm not going to be here. You need to do it. So, and a lot of people found that to be a problem, but because I'd been out of work for a year and a half, and so I got this job, I was so excited. And so they had explained, the HR process took maybe extra long. Um, and so when I got this job, it was a director, and I was like a, an entry-level position. And part of what he did, because of the kind of person that he was, was that he explained how the business worked, like in detail. And he handed over that accountability and that trust, so it was shared. And, you know, it would cover up if I did something wrong. Like, we would proper cover it up. Like, <laughs> it taught me absolutely everything I know about doing, like, digital business and, and things like that. And so on the days when he wasn't there, he would, because I knew I, I, he had it coming. Once I, I hear the, if his phone ring, I'm like, yeah, it's going to go out in a sec. And he would just say, yeah, 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 don't judge me, don't judge me. We need to send this thing out. And, you know, and so that's how we worked. And we worked really well for about four years. And through that, I grew quite quickly through the ranks and all that. But in giving back now, it's one of the, the problems I have as a person, actually. I think people that know me quite closely know. I, I, I 
I say I don't actively mentor. Um, people around me say they are mentored. I'm like, well, good for you. Um, but more recently, though, um, over the last, I think, two or three years, I've had too many people kind of tell me you have to keep talking to young women, you have to keep talking to young women. Um, and so we've started doing that on different levels, more in a business context. Um, and so we've been doing that and talking to young young women. But again, honestly, I think... I think I think it's weird because I think it needs to be done. Um, but I think the first thing to kind of understand is yourself and being quite comfortable in who you are. And I think for me, that's by far the number one thing that you need to get right. And then being conscious of others and how others want to be treated. And I think as long as you can get those two right, um, you will do quite well. Because um, we all have to, we all grow up in Africa. We need thick skin here and there. So, you know, somebody says something, you know, um, you don't have to respond to it. Like, but to yourself, know yourself and try to be good to other people. Some good golden rules there. Okay. Um, so I'll come to you, Bolanle, about where you think the, the need is the most, right? Do you think from home? Do you think once you start in a professional setting, things like boundary setting, things like, I don't know, what, what are the things that you feel are the most important to sort of start off with, especially as women who are growing in professional careers, who need to make a mark or who want to make a mark? I think I think I think it's really from the home. I think that because even when you you're in social settings, you see people who talk to their children. I would say you're a boy, you can't do this, and you're a girl, you can't do this, and you have these children are four or five years old, and you're already telling them that they can't do this because they're a boy, and they can't do this because they're a girl. So I think really coming from the home. I mean, I have a, a daughter who is eight, and she challenges me. And I look at her and say, whose child are you? <laughs> you know, she's confident enough to challenge, challenge her, her, her grandparents, let alone her brother, who, who is four years older than her. But as far as she's concerned, so what? She, she's, and then I, the first time she did, I looked at her and I said, thank God there's something that is right here. Because she feels that she has an equal voice to a boy who is older than her. And so, so in school and things like that, she doesn't even see that she's a girl. She just does whatever it is that she needs. And I think that's really where we start from in understanding that, um, it, 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 I mean, we, we, men and women are different. We understand that. We know that and we appreciate that. But the, when it comes to professionally, there's no difference. There are different challenges with the kind of work and the career path that we have um, some people have alluded to it uh, in the, the kind of the physically tasking things that women are not built to be able to cope with as well. But there are ways around it. The support system is very important. Having families that would say, yes, if this is what you want to do, go ahead. I mean, I don't think that there's any woman who is very successful or, or who even just, I don't think there's any woman who is, kind of riding and doing what anything that she's doing without any support system. I don't think so. I think also it's worth mentioning that you will have to make choices because your lifestyle is different. If, you're, if, if you have children, you know, that's a different ballgame. If you don't have children, there's so many different things that you, women tend to be, even when they don't have 
children, they, they tend to be the one that will probably look after their parents and do those kind of things. You will have to make choices, and it's okay. You know, the, the first, one of the f- first things that shocked me um, when I had my first child was the fact that I couldn't go to work. It was a shock in my mind, because I'd always worked from when I was maybe 14, 15. I'd always done some work outside of, so it was a shock. I have to be at home. Really? And it was like, I remember one day, I was always, my background, working in funeral services, but also in makeup. And I remember one day, my son, it was, it was in England, so it was just my husband and I. My son was maybe about three months. I had it, and constantly people would call me, sorry, I can't do it. I just had a baby. Sorry, I can't do it. I just, ah. This one, I said, ah, I'm going, you know. And he said, who is going to look after the baby? I said, oh, you can let him die. It's your child. And I literally just expressed some milk, put nappies. I've been telling him, building up, look, I'm going to leave this child with you. He said, what is he going to do? I said, you can let him die. I'm going. And he coped. And when I, you know, so you have to have the right people in your corner. Because what if he didn't cope? But he coped. And when I knew that he could cope, ah. <laughs> you know, but it wasn't by his choice. So if I had, if I had said, oh, I have a baby, I can't do this, he would be very happy with that. But when I realized that, you know, because for, 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 for a woman, I think work is not, and career is not just for money. We need money a lot, a lot, just in case somebody's listening out there. <laughs> You know, we need money a lot, but I think that work, work is, is something that is, is, is very important for your mind. You know, how you conduct yourself, how you are in society, your esteem, your, your, how you, you even communicate. When you have conversations with people that don't work, and I'm not knocking them in any way, who, who don't do any um, commercial work, it's very different from conversations with people that are doing some sort of work. So I, and, and, and your children see that when you're talking about when do they see. So they understand. If I tell them I'm going to work now, I, or especially in those time of um, doing the lockdown, I have a Zoom call. Everybody just aligns themselves. You know, but all those things are things that are teaching them value, teaching them sacrifice, teaching them that effort is to be made and there's a reward at the end of it. I can do this because I'm working. I can do that because I'm working. So I think it's really starting out from the home and then also kind of making sure that you're making good choices. As you, you're starting out, so you, you know from when you're young and it helps you kind of um, adjust everything else along. You know, your family know that. Your parents know that ah, for this child to flourish, she needs X, Y, Z. So the parents that, the parents that are considerate will make sure that those things are, are available. Thank you for that. I know that we, my little timer buzz, I know that we're not doing so great on time, so we're going to wrap up. If we have, can we take a couple of questions or one question? Is it possible to take, we have two questions? Okay, so I have space for two questions. Questions, not comments. (laughs) Do we have anything from the live? Can I ask a final question? Do we have anyone in the room? Going, going, gone, guys. There's one question over here. Any other question? Okay, good. The second question will be me then. So we have one question from you. Please stand up and um, ask your question. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, happy International Women's Day. Okay. Um, 
Funny enough, Ellen and I were gossiping. We're gossiping about you. Abukola. <laughs> Abukola. Yes. Um, we're like, you're still young. So, I mean, we expect you to still be. Why did you take a decision? Okay. True. She was part of it. We're gossiping and we're like, she's still young. I mean, she looks strong and all of that. So, um, what informed your decision into being a FIFA ref? And why did you live so young? Thank you. Um, I get asked that question a lot. And I think it's also one of the things we are discussing today, some of the barriers that we have as women. You know, I became a FIFA referee before I got married, but along the line, when I had my first child, I had some major issues, complications and all, and the doctors were like, you need to stay off. It was a very difficult decision, but it's just one of those physical, biological challenge that we face as women. And so it was difficult. It was very emotional thing. My husband wasn't happy about it. We thought we could, you know, find a way to go around it. A lot of my colleagues were like, no, maybe we should just hold. I'm like, it's not worth it. I wouldn't risk my health for what have it. But the, bad, um, the good side is that I didn't want to leave. But I had to. But then there are options, which is what I tell girls too. You know, I wanted to play football, but I found myself in refereeing. And so when it was time for me to hang my boots like that, I felt, okay, if I'm not going to be physically involved, I can still do something. And that was why I decided to become an instructor. So I train referees, and I'm also a referee's assessor. So, fine, I might not be officiating in the league presently, but I assess referees in the league, help them, you know, look at their performance after matches, and then give them the lowdown, how they need to do better, what they did wrong, and all that. I'm actively doing that. Yes. Amazing. Thank you. I think that just goes to show that wherever you find yourself, make your mark. And even when things don't quite work out, still find a way to make sure you're pulling other people behind you. Um, the last thing is, if I have space for one question, and very briefly, is a piece of practical advice. Very briefly, a piece of practical advice for all of us in here, whoever's watching, people who are seeing women doing wonderful things and people who want to do wonderful things in the future themselves. How can we, as we grow in our personal and professional lives, break biases and continue to shatter ceilings in our own lives? Practical advice. Let's just go. No, let's go this way. Come this way. So, Dr. Abalara, you please start. I think my advice is um, we need to be emotionally mature. We can't keep on throwing tantrums as women. You don't need to respond to everything. And you could actually ignore the biases and pretend that they don't exist. Because the goal is to get to the top. And there's a reason. If you get to the top and you're alone, you will not thrive. So the job for those that get there first is to actually bring up people. When you crowd the top with your light, then you can take decisions that will influence things. Women were not able to push the bill for uh, citizenship approval for husbands. And yet there are many shouting on social media and all over the place because we're working individually. But if you get to the top... You bring up other people, and that is what has not happened in years, in decades in Nigeria. Many big women, but they are at the top alone with the men, and then we are clapping for ourselves. So pull up other like minds, not unlike minds, uh -huh. like minds, partly with the men. We don't need to fight them. It's the society that allows us to thrive. Everybody here said their fathers, their sons motivated. 
The men are not our enemies, and that's the truth. So, everybody is useful. Rise to the top, pull up like minds. Any man that tries to pull you down, ignore. Any woman that tries to pull you down, ignore times two. Bad people are bad people, regardless of gender. And then once you get to the top, pull up others, and then we are in. Uh, I don't know how to follow that. Um, okay, advice, practical advice. Uh, okay, find your voice. Um, is my, that's my go-to anytime. Know who you are and stay true to the voice um, inside of you. Don't change that for anybody. Um, yeah, that's fine. Um, I'll just say, first of all, be self-aware. Self-awareness is very important. And like she said, we are not in competition with men. Be your own competition. Strive to be the best that you can be. There are men who are better than some men. So why do you want to beat men? Be the best version of yourself. And I would say you are enough. Yeah. I don't know. I think they said everything. <laughs> but I can't say nothing. I think, I think to be tunnel vision. I think just be tunnel vision. Like you can only you take a toilet roll and you look through. You can only see one thing, and what, 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 all for me, all you can see is the best Bolanli. I can just see that Bolanli better, and that's it. And everything that needs to align um, in my own world, I, I try and make it align. I think also as well, pace yourself. So you can't do one of the things that is my own personal shortcomings. I have a lot of ideas. And then I find that, oh, I want to do them very well. So I don't do anything. So then all these ideas just go. And now, post-COVID, you know, I'm a funeral director. If you come to see me, you have to walk through all the 25, 30 coffins in my office before, in our showroom before you get to my office. Very, very clear about how life is you know, it's a fixed term. So live your best life, really. Enjoy the season while you're getting to. So I'm trying to get this perfect ball and lay there. But in this time, I have to enjoy this because you don't know how life will be. So just enjoy it. Enjoy the way and be good to people along, which is, which is also what you were saying. As people, you know, everybody is important. Everybody is worth investing in. Just be pleasant. Hello, how are you? How are you? Because those people, if you're, if you're, if you're genuinely pu pushing for progress, those people will also be in your corner. Because underlying everybody, there's something that wants the best, really. Under every, even if you're wicked, underlying, you know that definitely, you know, this person is saying the truth. Uh, and, you know, just keep pushing, keep pushing with the tunnel vision. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. A big round of applause once again for all my wonderful panelists, Bolanle, Bukonla, Bukola, and Dr. Abolariwa. I'm Lamide Akintobi. Thank you so much for your patience and for being an awesome audience. Have a wonderful International Women's Day. Congratulations to us. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Instagram at UnionBankNG and check out the show notes for more information.